The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey, this is Alexis Haynes, and welcome to Recovering from Reality, where I illuminate the messy and magical path of coming home to yourself. Whether you're on the road to recovery, seeking self-care techniques for surviving the capitalist machine, or just need a moment to remember that you're not alone in your loneliness, we're serving up the ultimate truth. Your challenges don't define you. How you deal with them does. So, are you ready to recover from reality? I had at one point made like a pact with myself saying that, hey, if anything ever gets in the way of you know, my work, then I'm going to cut that out. And it did get to that point where I had to, you know, have that conversation with myself, like, hey, like, how much longer do you want to hemorrhage? You know, (laughs) how much longer do you want Mm. to suffer like this? And do you want to plateau? I don't want to plateau. I want to get better, you know? That was a quick clip from this week's episode with Kat Von D. If it is Monday and you're listening to this, then it was the Monday after Christmas. And I want to say Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, and Happy New Year. I cannot believe that it is 2021. We are there. We made it. 2020 is behind us. And I'm feeling really hopeful about 2021. I have some major goals for this year, goals that I set for myself in 2020. And then obviously like we were in a pandemic, so it is what it is. But I'm so excited to be starting this year feeling hopeful. I do feel hope that we're we're on the precipice of getting back to normal. So in this week's episode, like I said, we are joined by the incredible Kat Von D. It was so nice to sit down on the podcast and talk to someone who had a similar amount of sobriety and had a lot of the same feelings about recovery that I do. It's interesting because you know, uh, we talk about AA, we talk about what it's like to have long-term sobriety, and we talk about our personal recovery journeys and and what they're like. And there was just so many similarities. Kat was honestly such a sweet guest. I'm so honored that she decided to join us. She just passed 13 years sober, which is no easy feat. I can tell you that because in March I'll have 10 and it has been filled with lots of highs and lows. But yeah, we talk about motherhood and how that's changed our life. And we talk about parenting and sobriety, which certainly is not always easy. And we talk about what her life was like before recovery. So with that, I'll keep it short and sweet. And here's this week's episode with Kat Von D. I don't think addiction happens in like a vacuum. I don't think it's just like all of a sudden, here we are, we're addicted to drugs and alcohol. I think it's a series of events that usually leads up to our abuse of ourselves with substances. And so maybe that rings true to you. And I always invite my guests to go back a little bit further than they usually do, which is when they started drinking and to talk about their childhoods and like what life was like as a kid. And, um, you know, I think for me, especially 
the chaos that transpired in my childhood definitely played a role in my addiction. So if you don't mind, I'd love to go back there. Yeah. um, I mean, let's see. I mean, I'd like to think that I had a pretty good childhood. Um, I mean, I had, you know, two loving parents. We didn't have very much money at all or anything like that, but didn't really seem to care. Uh, You know, we, my parents were, you know, quite religious and, you know, we weren't allowed to do a lot of the things that, you know, my friends at school were doing, you know, going to sleepovers or things like that. Like my parents were pretty strict. Um, we didn't have television and stuff like that. Cause I mean, we had, we had a, a TV, but we didn't have, um, like, I didn't see like MTV. I don't think until I was like 17 or 16 or at a friend's house. And I was like, what's this terrible thing? <laughs> but, um, so I, I, but at the same time, I, I'm grateful for that because, you know, we were able to focus on artwork or music. My parents were really strict and disciplinary when it came to like practicing piano and things like that. But I don't know. Um, sometimes when I dissect my past to try and make sense of how we got here, I think there's lots of things that, you know, could contribute to why I started drinking. You know, um, neither of my parents drank or did drugs you know, they didn't have sex till they were married, you know, it it wasn't like, uh, I was around that kind of environment. And, but I did have a sense of not belonging. And I think that that was as a child, something that you don't really understand how to navigate, you know, at least I didn't, you know, I, I didn't feel like, uh, you know, like, for example, like my, my mom is really dark skin and my dad's light skin. And that's why I look more like my dad. And my my siblings look like my mom. So I was kind of like this odd man out in, in ways. And um, but it wasn't really until I got into like punk rock music around, you know, age 13, 12 or 13, that I started really seeing as like a way of self-expression through what I looked like. And I think that's really terrified my parents, you know, because I started, you know, I shaved my head and got a mohawk mm-hmm. and, um, and I started getting into t- tattoos and things like that. But also I should mention, you know, we, we weren't born in America. So, you know, coming from a different world, like my parents weren't Americanized at all and they didn't really understand how to control me. And even though I wasn't really doing anything bad, you know, I, I wasn't rebelling. I, I loved my parents, but, and I was good at school and everything, but I think just this, something inside told me I just didn't really belong. You know, in school, I didn't feel like I belonged. I, I looked different. I felt different. I had different interests. And so I, it wasn't until like, I mean, I think like the first time I drank, I was, um, I experimented, you know, as a teen and I didn't really like it. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't a thing that I was like, oh, this is fun. I'm like, oh, this made me sick. I hated not being in control, but it wasn't until way later as an adult that I started really using it as I think a coping mechanism or a buffer, you know, between myself and reality. And I don't know, it's sometimes it feels embarrassing talking about it because it's like, oh man, like I wish I could have been strong enough to deal with stuff instead of, you know, just resorting to drinking. And, you know, I I consider myself a strong person. I don't think I'm, you know, weak-minded, but when it comes to drugs and and drinking, it's like my kryptonite, you know? And so- you know, I'm not blessed with the ability to just, you know, have a glass of wine or, you know, just have one drink. Like, I don't know what that's like, you know, I, I either have to either it's either all or nothing for me. And so, and I know that if I don't stick to the, 
the sober path, it's just a, a matter of time before I destroy everything, every, everything around me and myself. So I, I don't know. I mean, I don't have a, a, a wild, crazy, abusive childhood that I can really blame this on because uh, ultimately I am a huge believer in, in taking accountability for your actions. And I think that I just, I did get wrapped up in, in some shit that just, you know, made things a lot harder for me. <laughs> I'm just yeah. thankful that I figured it out and I got out of it. Cause I know there's, a, I have a lot of friends that, that didn't, but, yeah. um, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm not sure if that's a kind of answer you're looking for, but you know <laughs> it's, what? it's nearly not as interesting um, as a lot of people. <laughs> no, I think that many people relate to this kind of profound feeling of not belonging. And I think that that's huge for a kid who's trying to navigate and especially with parents who are immigrants, right? Like yeah. you're in foreign territory here and, yeah. you know, um, and my parents don't really can, know how to talk to me about that stuff. You know, I look at, yeah, uh, I have a son now and um, I'd like to think that I'm, you know, totally open and willing to look at myself mm -hmm. and, and, and see what ways I can become a better person and a better mother. Whereas, you know, I look at my parents and I'm like, man, they were having babies without the internet, um, like without any help, yeah. you know, they were in a different country without any assistance. And, um, and they also, they weren't in practice of talking about their feelings or, mm. um, or even asking others about theirs. You know, it's not like my mom sat down and said, Hey, how are you? What's wrong? How's school going? Like we didn't have yeah. that kind of relationship. I can't imagine yeah. having not having that with my son. And um, yeah. so I think it's a different generation too. I don't know what it was like for, with your parents, but my parents were, I don't want to say that they were cold because they weren't, but I think they were definitely shut off to, mm. um, you know, asking me what's wrong. Yeah. You know? And when you don't have those tools to know how to navigate those feelings, alcohol and drugs are the perfect thing to numb yeah. them. I had the polar opposite. I had a totally crazy childhood. Sexual abuse began at four. Parents divorced when I was three. Incest, drugs, partying, yeah. chaos, rapes when I was 16. I was doing Marilyn Manson music videos naked when I was 16. I was, <laughs> oh, I was, I had the most insane childhood. Yeah. But that still rings true to me because I never felt like I belonged. I really relate to those feelings of not belonging and also not having parents that knew how to talk to me really about my feelings. Yeah. Like I, I think to myself all the time, if I had a kid who was rebelling the way I was rebelling when I was 13, I would be like, what is going on in your life? Are you yeah. okay? Like how, how come this is happening? I got my first tattoo when I was 14. I was piercing yeah. all over my body that I possibly Same. could. I was going to under oath concerts and moshing. And I mean, yeah. I was just like, you know, fuck the man and fuck you guys. And I don't want to have anything to do with you. And, you know, I think now as a mother, I would be like, are you okay? Like, how can we sure. help you navigate this? Yeah. And so when you don't have those tools and then you grow up and you continue to not have those tools and you start drinking and using, it makes sense to me why, you know, I just, people go, why, why all the addiction and why all the mental illness? Well, it makes sense to me. We're like all a bunch of people who just don't know how to deal with life, don't know how yeah. to cope. And so 
your addiction kind of took off in your 20s. And what did that look like? Like, was it a slow progression? Was it something that happened really quickly? You know, I I think, um, no, I mean, I think everything always graduates pretty quickly with me. (laughs) I'm a fast learner. But um, when I started drinking, I definitely, I mean, I was living in Hollywood and we were, it was just like, just different times, you know, every day was something new to do. And I was working pretty close to the boulevard. And so, you know, I would work all day and then afterwards, you know, party with friends and, and I had a a really good time, you know, I was uh, socializing a lot. And I think, but I think that when, when it got to the point where it's like, okay, like, um, this is affecting my work and my ability to show Mm -hmm. up. It's like, that, that's when, when, you know, it started, it started feeling like a problem, you know, at first Mm -hmm. it's not because it is fun and games. And I'm like, okay, well, wow, this is really, um, you know, it's, it's putting a dent into my consistency. And at the time I was, you know, pretty much my tattoo career had, had just really, I started to solidify it. And so, and that to me was more important than anything. And so I, you know, I had at one point made like a pact with myself saying that, Hey, if anything ever gets in the way of, of, you know, my work, then I'm going to cut that out. And it did get to that point where I had to, you know, have that conversation with myself, like, Hey, like, how much longer do you want to hemorrhage? You know, <laughs> how much mm. longer do you want to suffer like this? And do you want to plateau? I don't want to plateau. I want to get better, you know? So, yeah, but I, I think, um, you know, the drugs came in years after I was already drinking crazy and it was just, you know, I wasn't into op- opioids or anything like that. I was really more into uppers and it was like, Oh wow, this is a good way to keep the party going. And then it just, mm. you know, that magic or the luster wears off pretty quickly. And, um, you know, it, it became, a, a. I got to a point where I, I couldn't function every, without having drugs every 30 minutes. And it's like, so, you know, I went from, you know, partying here and there to an eight ball a day. And it's like, mm-hmm. so, you know, it, it, it that I, I think was probably about like a three to four month stint before I realized like, I'm, this is out of control and, um, I became quite suicidal at the time and everything. So yeah, it, I, I stopped doing drugs before I quit drinking. And then, yeah, and then I, I ended up quitting drinking uh, 13 years ago. So <laughs> amazing. I think it's, yeah, I'm, I'm going on 14 now. I love that. I'm yeah. coming up on a decade and I'm, I'm like a decade, like, wow. I, yeah. Because it's amazing. Those first couple of years, you're like, how am I going to do this? Like, I remember just waking up every day and going like, how am I still doing this? How am I going to do this for another day? And I've, you know, in sobriety, you're going to walk through some really challenging stuff. And it's not easy to not have that escape like everybody else. It's interesting because you said something at the beginning that touched me. And I thought, wow, yes. You were like, I'm a really strong person. I'm also a really strong person. Like when I think of myself, I'm like, girl, you have been made, you've made it through so much. Like you're so resilient. It's amazing. But that's the thing with substances. It's like, it's not a matter of willpower. If it were a matter of willpower, oh my God, then my life would have been totally different. It would, that's a dream, right? Of like, oh, well, I'll just have one or, you know, yeah. whatever it might be. And it's like, no, I'm a junkie. I have to put a needle in my arm four times a day in order to get through the day. Yeah. And it just, it was never like that for me. Like the second that I picked up, I was like, this is it. 
Like I just need more and more and more of this. And it feels so good. And it's amazing to me that you had the consciousness at the time to go, this is getting in the way of all this. I had to keep going to jail. I mean, I was forced into treatment. I was like, you know, and even those first several months of treatment, I was like, I don't want to be here. I am not like you guys. I am not an alcoholic. I hate these meetings. My dad's an alcoholic. I don't want to be here. So I just think that it's incredible that even in the midst of the cocaine and all of the drinking and all of the partying and the lifestyle of LA, I don't think people, I think people have this idea of LA, but unless you're living in the grind of this, there's no words to really describe that. Yeah. But you know, at the same time, I, I, I do hear a lot of people kind of blaming things on the city. And again, this is part of like my um, like strong belief in self accountability is that this happens everywhere, you know, and, and we have our versions of LA and different micro versions of them in different cities and towns and states across the country and all around the world. You don't have to have the pressure of, um, of Hollywood Boulevard, you know, to relapse or to start mm-hmm. doing drugs. And, and so I, I don't know, I, I don't want to blame LA because, or the city, because I feel like that would be taking it off my shoulders, you know, and granted, there are so many amazing sober people in LA. I feel like they got, you know, they have like the biggest AA meetings out of any place I've ever been to. (laughs) But, um, but yeah, I I think that, um, you know, that shit is all around you wherever you go. I know for me, when I was traveling, I I found drugs everywhere I went. (laughs) I mean, it's, it's, you know, if you're looking for it, you're going to find it. Um, you know, it's just, uh, but it's kind of crazy, man. I like lately I've been thinking so much about just the lockdowns and I know this is probably going to be, you know, not of popular opinion, but like, I don't think people, I mean, I don't, I don't know how, how you feel about like, I live in, in LA and we have the strictest lockdowns in the nation. It feels like, and some of these numbers don't really seem to add up to me, but what what bothers me is that when people are hyper focused on you know a virus that that seems to have a pretty high survival rate and they say hey let's just lock down everything and they're not taking into consideration the gnarly effects that it's having on people especially in their sobriety i've had three friends that have overdosed during the lockdown one of them or that they've relapsed and then one of them has overdosed. I've had two friends commit suicide and I have, you know, I've had friends that got COVID and got sick, but I, I haven't had uh, you know, five people that I know have passed away. And so I think it's, it's really a time where I think we should be concerned about, um, you know, not just mental illness, but addiction because you've taken away in-person AA meetings, which I think is, it does not compare to Zoom meetings. It's not the same. And I know for those that don't have never dealt with addiction, they might not understand how much of a matter of life or death this is. You know, it's not just like, oh, they relapse, they'll, they'll figure it out. It's like, no, I have friends that they're going to die if they relapse. And it, it doesn't take very much, you know? And so I, I'm just like, it's, it's, we're in crazy times right now. And I think and I would hope that people would really just start to think about the bigger picture of things. You know, I think that there's ways of, you know, keeping ourselves safe. Um, I mean, we do it all the time going to grocery stores and things like that. Like, why aren't we able to do that for um, when it comes to, you know, having meetings or, yeah. you know, 
supporting each other in that way. It's, it's, it's really tough. I, I know that like, um, when I was first, when I first became sober, my, my first instinct was to isolate. And I did that. And it really fucked with my depression. You know, Mm -hmm. I wasn't around positive people. I I didn't have that. Um, This is where, when I was talking to you about becoming suicidal and it was my friend Clay who basically picked me off up off the floor and said, Hey, we're going to go and fucking draw. I'm going to bring you to the tattoo shop and we're going to draw. And he somehow got me to get up and we sat there and I drew a, a shitty drawing, but it was like the first step into moving forward past this. It was yeah. like my, you know, my first day after, you know, not doing any drugs. And I just feel like we need, we need to be able to do that. You know, I think like people like make fun of people who want to go hiking and stuff. It's like, to you, it's not a big deal, but to somebody who has a, you know, a severe addiction, it is a big deal. And sometimes that's yeah. like all we need is like the ability to, to see a friend, to talk to somebody or to get outside and walk or draw or whatever it may be. So I don't know. I've been thinking a lot about that lately. It's like poverty and the destruction of people's livelihoods through this, yeah. these lockdowns, I think have become even more dangerous than the virus itself in ways. And, and it's something that it's, it's hard. It's, it's hard to say it out loud because people think that you're coming from an insensitive place. You know, I Absolutely, care about every yeah. single person, Yeah. but, um, but seeing my friends relapse and being there and, you know, watching a very close friend of mine die, um, man, that's, that's, it's really tough, especially when you know it could be avoided. Yeah. So I don't know. I think more than ever right now, like your podcast and things that you're doing is like, it's just so crucial. Like we just, we need to be able to to talk about um, how hard it is to, um, to live with this yeah. <laughs> and, and, and that we're not alone, you know? Yeah. When I was talking about LA, I guess for me, I was just addicted to like the lifestyle and that became yeah so toxic. And I also had a reality TV show that did one season on E and I just was so engulfed and so young that like it just ate me alive. But going back to what's happening right now in our country and how it's affecting addiction and mental health. I mean, I see it every day. I own a treatment center yeah. with my husband. And so I get to witness and I have lost. It's a hard thing because I have lost friends to their um, mental health crises and addictions yeah. in the last nine months. And I've also lost loved ones due to COVID. And I've mm-hmm. had, I've known 10 people now who have had it. And yeah. Some have such debilitating after effects that they can't even parent their children anymore. I think that what we're being called to do, it's interesting because in recovery, we learn a lot about service, right? Like being of service and caring about other people. And we live in a country that idolizes, in my opinion, um, individualism, but to a fault, like to yeah. the point where it's hurting us because we don't care about each other or community anymore. But more than that, we have a government that has completely failed us. And yeah. I think that had my husband's Canadian, we have friends and family in Australia who are completely back to normal right now, no masks, walking around, yeah. like it's perfect, everything's fine. And I just think it's just such a shame. And to witness, how many of my friends have lost their jobs and gone into poverty and 
the whole thing truly is a nightmare. And I've also seen miracles. My friend AJ just got a year and the re- he was a touring musician. He's a Backstreet Boy. Yeah. AJ could not put together a year because he was on tour for like the life of him. Yeah. And so he needed that he, break. He needed it. And so I'm trying to focus on the positives. Yeah. But I'm also so sympathetic towards everybody who's suffering right now as a result of this. And we need community. We need those friends who are going to call us and say, let's draw, let's do a yoga class together. Let's walk, let's talk. Let's, and I've been, I've had my girlfriends in my backyard for kombucha in the backyard since the beginning of this thing. And I agree. It's, I don't think that there has been enough empathy in in the news media and in the coverage of, around what this disease is doing to people. Um, and I think that that really is a shame. I think that for me, in those early days of my recovery, I didn't even really work a program. The yeah, only same. thing that got the only thing that got me through was those friends who sat with me at Mel's diner until. Yeah. 2 a.m. when I was tired enough to then go home and go to sleep and maybe do it again the next day. Yeah, that's exactly what I did too. (sighs) Yeah. I mean, it wasn't, I didn't even read the big book until like years later after I was sober for years. And I'm so glad I did. I, I, I always tell people, I feel like, it's the best book. I think everybody should read it. I think everybody should do the steps, even if you don't <laughs> have agree. addiction. It's yes. it's like, you know, taking inventory just of, um, is just so healthy. And it's, yeah. um, oh my God, it was like one of the biggest tools in shedding so much of this baggage that I'd been carrying for so long. And, um, and I still, you know, I still revert to it whenever um, I, I, you know, I come to a place where I'm like, I don't know what to do here. And I'm just like, oh, let's see what the big book has to say about it, you know? But, um, so I always, I always recommend that book to people, even if, um, if you're not in the program or if you're not so, or, you know, don't have addiction and all that. I love that book. Yeah. Yeah, I, um, I'm no longer in a 12 step program. I haven't been for, for years. I just, well, we don't have to go into all of my feelings about that right now. No, that's okay. We probably share a lot of the same feelings (laughs) on that. So yeah, I just, I think that AA is a gift. I just want to preface this by saying that, that um, the 12 steps absolutely has saved my ass more times than I can count. Yeah. And I'm grateful for a sponsor who taught me how to sit in my feelings and be with myself and who was so gentle and kind to me when I had to do an inventory that took me months and months of bitching and moaning and all that (laughs) stuff. It was, it it was great. Doing that fifth step was like dropping 80 pounds of bricks that I had been carrying around for so long. But yeah, I mean, I have a hard time when I hear, cause this is just not my feelings when I, and I know it's theirs and that, you know, yeah, that's not my stuff to carry. But I, what I found myself doing was I was about seven years sober, no six, six years sober. And I would go to meetings and I would leave feeling worse than when I went. Yeah. Yeah. Because of some of the politics and because I would hear people who had 20 and 30 years who were like, I'm always this close to a drink or a drug. And I'm like, yeah, I am mile millions of miles That's how I feel. away. I, feel I am like, a I feel world like, uh, away. Like, where's the step where you don't have to do the steps anymore? <laughs> well, exactly. And, and I, I also this do believe that like, life. this isn't something you have to 
carry with you forever. Like, yes. I, like I'm, I'm all about, you know, fixing it and moving forward. But I mean, my, my biggest problem, you know, why I stopped going to AA, I mean, I, it's not, I'm not anti by any means. I think that certain things work wonders for certain people. You know, um, I have family members that that's what works for them and that's great. Um, just like, you know, there's people that need to go to church to feel fulfilled and that's, that's good. And some people can just read the Bible on their own, whatever, whatever works for you, you know, but I feel like, um, like to me, especially in LA, like, you know, I found it really, uh, and I'm not sure if it's because of the position that I'm in, but like, I didn't really feel that the the anonymous part was really, um, Mm. withheld uh, or, um, it wasn't, uh, respected very much. And I think that, um, and I don't think that happens everywhere. I think that, you know, in some of the meetings with like, you know, more like older folks and stuff like that, when it's not such a scene, it's a lot easier. But to me, I'm like, I'm a lone wolf. I like, I like doing therapy on my own. I, I thrive in that space. Some people don't. So I think it's, it's there for you if you need it. And I think that that's great. I have friends that that is their thing and it helps them. And then I have friends that are addicted to it. And I think that that's an addiction in itself, you know? Like, you know, they're addicted to the social aspect of it. They're addicted to dating within that. And I think that that's, that can be unhealthy mm-hmm. sometimes. So yeah, I, I, it's weird. I feel like, um, you know, that in any, any type of organization, you're always going to have good and bad. And I think uh, you can take what you, you want from those types of experiences. But I agree with you. Like when I watch a movie and I see somebody getting high, there's not one part of me that Same. is tempted or inspired to, or even considers it. Like to me, all I think about is like, ugh, I could never go back to that. Or they yeah. did a really good job at making it exude the feeling of feeling shitty. Cause that's mm-hmm. really what I, when I think about drugs, that's what I think about. I don't think about like, oh my God, like it, it felt so amazing. I can't, I wish I could do it again. It's like, no, I, I my brain goes to like the aftermath. I'm like, oh no, those yeah. are like the the worst times of my life. <laughs> Same. Know? My and, brain oh goes my God, to I was like, such an asshole back then. I feel like oh my God, some of the yes. things I said is just so cringy and just like, oh, like it really does bring out like the, the worst parts of people. And um, so, yeah, I'm with you on that. I don't, and, and I, I know that that's not everybody's experience. You know, some people, when they do, um, if they're surrounded by it, they do get tempted, you know, and um, and if that's you, then, you know, you, you, you have to set yourself up differently. For me, it's like, I could be around it and it doesn't, bo- it, it, it doesn't affect yeah. me. I just choose not to be around it because I just don't like the energy that comes with it. You know, yeah. I mean, if my friends have a drink in front of me that that doesn't bother me, I'm just not, I'm not okay with like people getting wasted, um, around me. I, it, it's like, it turns into a babysitting night and, you know, you're arguing with, you know, you know how it is to argue with somebody who's drunk. Cause I know I've argued as a drunk person and it's, I was a pain in the ass, you know? So yeah. it's like, yeah, I just, I feel like, um, that behavior isn't inspiring to me. So I just don't put myself in that spot, but, and also too, you know, we're, we're parents now. I mean, it's different, you know, like I, yeah. I can't imagine having anybody like that around my son, you know, no, no fucking way. <laughs> it is such a gift to, reflect on the fact that my children have never seen me drunk or high. They've never seen their father drunk or high. They've, you know what I mean? We just don't allow for that. And when people are getting out of control, wherever we might be a holiday party, whatever we leave. And it's so So, nice to know that they've never seen the screaming matches, the arguments, the, all of the toxicity that comes with that. Yeah. And Yes. I'm grateful that they've never seen that. 
And and I'm also grateful some, that I have a partner like you do that that's on the yes. same page. Yeah. You know, like, so is your husband sober? Yeah. Yeah. He's so, yeah. sober longer than I am. So <laughs> isn't that great? And yeah. when you have someone who, who's so, who understands you, I can't imagine being in a relationship yeah. with someone who wasn't someone who, when I've had a really hard day, because don't get me wrong. When I say that I never think, oh, I want to go get loaded. I have thought this sucks and I don't want to be here right now. And having somebody to go to and to talk to about that has been amazing. Yeah. You know, even my husband's been with me since my early sobriety when there was lots of scandal. I mean, I feel like every single thing I did was covered back then. And it was like, you know, she's leaving rehab. She's not, it's like, no, I'm in rehab. Like, leave me alone. Like I was sentenced to rehab for a year you know, it was like, I'd be like leaving a meeting in LA and it's like, she's out. It's like, no assholes. I'm just leaving a fucking A meeting, yeah. like leave yeah. me alone. But to have somebody who's walked with me and now my life is really quiet and I really enjoy that part of it. But to have somebody who just gets it, who, you know, is empathetic to how hard it is to be sober yeah. sometimes because fuck it is rough. Yeah. What are some things that have gotten you through the last year? I know you talked about losing loved ones and is there anything harder? I don't think so. No. And then, you know, and then I lost my, my beloved cat most recently who I've had for, you know, the last decade and that was tough too. But again, you know, having my husband there and, um, you know, we had our little ceremony and, and got to bury him in our little, uh, we have like a little pet cemetery and stuff, but, you know, I think I've just really committed to making this time as productive as possible, even when I don't feel like it. You know, I think that structure is what I thrive on the most. So if I can just give myself, you know, from nine to five, this is what we're doing every day, you know, even if it's for nothing, you know, because like, you know, we've been, we've had this, both my my husband and I have albums that are waiting to be released, but what are we going to release it for? He can't tour right now, you know? So we're like, well, let's just keep continuing being creative and create more and more and more. And um, if it's just to keep us sane and, um, you know, that's what we have to do. But I think having a kid too, obviously um, makes the hours go by so fast. You know, my, <laughs> I, I still feel like even throughout this lockdown, I'm like, oh, can I still get like 72 more hours in a day, <laughs> like to do all the things we want to do? But um yeah, I just think, uh, and then just surrounding yourself around positive people, you know, that's, that's really what we've been doing. When we, when we first had the lockdown uh, happen in, in March, uh, my bandmates had already moved in. We have like a little guest house and we just dedicated our time to band practice. And so we practiced every day, same time, five days a week. And I think that was really good, good for us, you know? Um, yeah. You know, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's hard. <laughs> I think everybody's trying to figure it out. I haven't figured it all out yet, you know? Yeah. I have not either. Yeah. Um, congratulations on having a beautiful baby boy. <laughs> I would you. love to talk to you about motherhood. You chose to have a home birth. Am I correct? Yeah. 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 It didn't go as, as, as we planned, but it's, it's fine, you know? Um, but yeah, mm-hmm. we're pretty natural and in, in everything. Like my son has been plant-based since the womb. Like, he, you know, yeah. we're pretty strict about no chemicals and things like that. Like no yeah. GMOs and, you know, so he, he's a, 
he's a healthy little baby. <laughs> yeah, I I was the same. So I actually work as a birth doula now. Oh, because cool. Awesome. I, um, I love birth and yeah. motherhood um, and helping women on their journey, or I should say birthing people on their yeah. journey of, <laughs> of becoming parents. I also attempted a home birth with my first, which yeah. ended in a C-section. I pushed her butt out at home and then yeah. we had to transfer and yeah. all of that. But I, I think that it was really cool of you to talk about that publicly because I think there's a lot still, which is crazy given yeah. what happens in the hospitals to babies and mothers Oh yeah, that we're still so adamantly freaked out and against birthing at home or birthing in a birth center. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we watched Ricky Lake's documentary, the, the business of being born and it just changed our world. You know, uh, we watched that like the first month that we had found out we were pregnant and so it it really made our journey so much more exciting after that. We're like, oh, wow, we didn't know there was another option. And um, the more and more research we did, the the more it, it kind of just fell in line with what kind of parents we want to be and what our, our ideal birthing journey would be. And yeah, I think people were kind of caught off guard. They're like, what? Like, what's that? You know? But, um, but yeah, I, I always highly recommend people to watch that documentary if they're, if they're having a baby. It's, it's interesting to know, even if you do decide to, you know, you, I mean... I think it's all about being informed, right? It's like you make your own decision as long as it's an an informed one. I think that's, that's the best way. Yeah. If you had another child, would you have a home birth? Would you opt? Yeah, but we're not going to have another kid. I mean, we, we, uh, (laughs) my son was the, was the, um, the compromise. (laughs) My, I didn't want to have any children. And my, my husband was like, I want six. And I'm like, you get one. (laughs) (laughs) And, and, uh, and oh my God, I'm so glad I did because he's the best, but, um, yeah. But yeah, I think, I think, uh, I think we're just happy with one, you know, I, I know that some people think it's weird and I have a lot of friends that were, um, only children or only an only child and they loved it. I mean, there's some people that'll say different and that's fine. Um, you know, we're going to try our best to give him a, a, a really great balance. Um, so he doesn't feel alone. And my, my friend Tara, she had her daughter like around the same time. And they're just like best friends. So mm. it's like she ha- he has a little sister anyway. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, um, my husband was an only child. And yeah. so he was like, we're having two. And I yeah. was like, well, <laughs> three. And now I want another one. And he's kind of like, okay, I'll do this one more time. My husband's 46. So he's uh-huh. like, if we're going to do this, I can't have any more children because I ended up having... um blood clots in my lung with my second. So I can't yeah. carry any again, but I really want to adopt. I want a boy. Yeah. I have two girls. And, oh yeah. Oh uh, my God. You, you want a boy. They're, they're awesome. <laughs> they're so, I just, I don't know. I grew up with only sisters. So I'm like, yeah. I want a little dude around here. I yeah. need some like little dude energy in, in my house. I know that you've gotten public pushback for your choices on parenting and I have too. I'm wondering how do you navigate that in sobriety? Well, I mean, I think, you know, I've had I've gotten backlash throughout my entire life even prior to being on TV. You know, I think um nowadays for some reason like the idea of being a free thinker or questioning anything is tends to be frowned upon if it if it doesn't follow a certain narrative and I don't know if it's maybe like my my punk rock background that just says like no, I'm going to think for myself, um, just doesn't allow me to just to like cower. And I think that ultimately you just have to do what's best for you and your family. And I've always been all about respecting others and whatever they choose to do. Um, you know, and I think 
um, at the end of the day, that's all, all you can really worry about. I think as far as dealing with the backlash, I mean, I don't know. I'm surrounded by awesome people. I don't have a lot of friends, but the, the, the few friends I have are like my rocks, you know, and yeah. my husband is amazing. Um, you know, I don't talk to, I, I guess you could say, I don't really get along with parts of my family and that's okay. But, um, but the ones that we do, we have a really strong bond and it's, it's, I don't know. I'm just really grateful for, um, for the people in my life. And, uh, that's really, I don't know, you don't really need much else. You know, I think, um, if you're looking for validation from an entire, you know, planet, you are setting yourself up for a, a bottomless well of disappointment. And yeah. I just never have, I've never cared. I've never, I've never cared to, um, you know, win over everybody. I, I would just hope that, you know, if you like me, that's cool. And I, you know, I like you back, you know, but, and yeah. if you don't, that's okay. I'm not for everybody, you know, and, and we're okay with that, you know? <laughs> yeah. But you know, what's crazy is that as a, um, I, I really had no clue about the, you know, once you have a baby, like the, how much mothers attack each other, you know, and it's like this critical, criticalness. Um, I think it happens within sobriety as well, too. I think it happens in any group, you know, where some people just ha kind of have a know-it-all um, personality and they make you feel bad about the littlest things. And, you know, I have never lied to myself. I, I've always known I'm going to make mistakes, hopefully not the same ones my parents made because I want to break those chains. But I don't know. Uh, you really can't win. It speaks volumes, I think, to really where we've been at for as a society for a long time, which is just this inability to empathize, empathize with people who are dealing with mental health issues, empathize people who are dealing with addiction or who have different beliefs than you. And not just that, but also villainize them. I mean, yeah, how long sure. have we been villainizing people who are severely mentally ill, people who are addicts? I still get comments. Oh, you're just a fucking junkie. Like yeah. you couldn't control your using. Like, no, dude, that's not the way that this works. I tried to control it. It wasn't yeah. my fault that I became addicted. You know, it's, easy to, it's easy to reduce somebody to something, uh, especially in their past, um, in order to, you know, put an yeah. end to a debate. And that's, that's not fair. And that's actually not a conversation. You know, I, I would never treat anybody like that. And I would hope people wouldn't treat me that way either. We have to lead by example. You know, it's like, um, especially with my sobriety too, I've always been like, oh, you know, when I first started talking about being sober, and this was coming off of, you know, making a career of being a party girl, you know, it's like people were kind of poo-pooing it, you know, they would say, oh yeah, it sounds nice while I drink my beer, you know, and, or whatever, when I'm, when I celebrated my first years of sobriety and stuff. And I just think that like, I, it's like, let people just go through their own process and celebrate their own journey in their own way. And like, you don't need to chime in. You don't need to, you know, I, I mean, I take, I take everything with a grain of salt, even the good stuff, you know, it's like, I'm not going to, believe that I'm amazing just because everybody says I am, or I'm not going to believe that I'm a bad person because people say I am, you know, it's like, yeah. you just got to be yourself as cheesy as it sounds. <laughs> no, I think that that's true. And it goes back to what you're talking about in the beginning is this feeling of disconnect and not really knowing who you are and not knowing where you fit in and what sobriety affords us is this really profound authenticity and just knowingness, like this deep 
knowingness in the core of my soul and being of who the fuck I am. And it is really amazing when you're able to just show up and be yourself and not really give a shit what anybody else thinks. And I also think that for every person who doesn't listen or unfollows or whatever it might be, it's like you're creating space for the people who are in alignment with what I believe, which is empathy and, and caring for each other and, you know, being kind. I know we're coming up on an hour and I want to be respectful of your time. Yeah. Maybe let's talk for a minute about what does 13 years feel like? Like, did you ever imagine that you would get to 13 and what, what is that like? Well, no, I never imagined I'd get to 13 and I never (laughs) imagined I would be so excited about it. (laughs) You know, that's the crazy part is that I celebrate my, my sober anniversary more than I do my actual birthday, you know, because without my sobriety, I I wouldn't be a a good friend. I wouldn't be, you know, uh, definitely, I wouldn't be a good mom, um, a good wife. Like before anything, I have to be sober. And I mean, that's, that's my journey. And I have that, that's, that's the the card I was dealt, you know? And so I don't know, it's something that's ex- exciting to me. I, I, I don't know how to explain it. It's not, it's not like I, I want to pat myself on the back. I definitely do talk about it a lot because I do want to like show people that, you know, sobriety isn't boring. It's not, um, it's not like, you know, th- there's not this gigantic sacrifice that you have to make aside from sacrificing suffering, you know, like, so it's like, I love leading by example in that sense. And that's why I do feel good about talking about it, especially every year. I kind of make a pretty big deal about it, but to me, it's like, I don't know. It just, it makes me happy. I think, um, I guess I'm just proud of it. <laughs> and I don't say that about a lot of things. <laughs> yeah. And you should yeah. be because yeah. it is a huge accomplishment when I reflect back on the last decade, it's, it's had so many highs and lows. And it's interesting because the other day on an ask me anything on Instagram, someone was like, if you could be living in an alternate fantasy right now, what would you be doing? And I really had to think about it for such a long time. And I was like, I can't come up with anything. I mean, living in like the Pacific Northwest with a group of witches dancing naked under a full moon sounds really nice and cool. (laughs) But like, I love this life. Like I love being of service. I love this community here that I've built, you know, really at a very bizarre time that we're living in right now. And it's, it's, there's no accident that it's online and that it's through the media, right? Like through a podcast. I love the DMs that I receive from people telling me that I've impacted their life in a, and inspired them to get sober. I love being a sober mom. I love yeah. never having a fucking hangover. Yeah. I love not carpet sifting through my floors, looking for little baggies of yeah. dope all the time. Like I don't miss any of that. Yeah. And it is Same. so amazing. So I just, I want everybody to walk away from this podcast it, whether you have a day, a year, you're contemplating, you have 10 years, you have 15 years and you've hit a, you know, an emotional bottom in sobriety to just remind y'all that it's going to be okay. It always has been and always will be okay. And as long as you keep striving and keep applying yourself, you're going to, you're going to get it and you'll get through it. So thank you, Kat. Oh, I'm, man. I'm so grateful for Thank you so for much for time. having me. I'm like, I, I'm just in awe of you. And like I said earlier, I just think what you're doing is so important. I just feel really honored to be here with you. Thank you. 
This week's affirmation is, I am free to form my own opinions and decisions. And so it is. If you enjoyed this week's episode, do me a favor, head over to the podcast app and make sure to subscribe to us, rate us and leave a review. We have new episodes every Monday and you can follow along with us on Instagram at Recovering From Reality or visit our website at recoveringfromreality.com. 